again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again, as we will be reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from April 17th, 1982. A fun, fun week. Action-packed, if I dare may say. And joining me for this journey, as always, my friend and yours from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how's it going this week? Doing good, man. Ready to get into this thing. I'm a little sad at the top of this episode, and I guess we'll get to that shortly. There's something that happens, or there's someone missing, I should say, that is uh, has become a regular in the audience. And I'm worried, because I haven't really watched, rewatched ahead, and I'm worried if he's now not at the tapings from here on out. Do you have any clue what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course I do, because I had it in my notes, but I didn't think we were going to start off the show by talking about it, but now we have to. The man, <laughs> I'm sad, man. The man we have called many things from Cowboy Hat Man to Hank to many things, he's not there. All the other old women are there. Not that he's one of the old women, but all the other old women are there. He's not there. And just to play spoiler, he's not on the next episode either, which is obviously from the same television taping. So... I'm not going to zoom ahead either. It's been a long time since I watched, and the last time I watched the episodes, I don't remember focusing as much on the crowd as I do nowadays. So I don't know, but yeah, it's uh, it's noticeable that he's not there. It takes away a little bit of the the edge from that <laughs> from that part of the uh, of the stands. It was almost like he was the protector of that area of the uh, audience. Well, it's just a, it's it's amusing to watch him. I've said this a bunch of times because you got so much thing, so much going on. You got a lot of excitement that's happening in and, and outside of the ring, and yet Hank, he'll just sit there with a cigarette most of the time and not budge. But he's obviously having a good time because, I mean, we're five months into this thing now since we started doing it, and he's been at every single one of the tapings. So he wouldn't go if he was bored. But he just sits there with a cigarette every now and then. He'll take a puff. Other than that, he's just sitting there, and no matter how exciting things get. You never see Hank get excited, except for that one time when Killer Carl Cox walked in and he shook his hand and seemed to be overjoyed to see uh, Killer Carl. But other than that, Hank's not here. So it just was weird to not see him there. So I hated to open things up like that, but it just was a observation that kind of smacked me at the very beginning of it. It changes the entire dynamic of the crowd just because I'm pretty sure he was strapped. I think that's one of the reasons why he was so calm when like, anyone would like, come by him. Is because he was that fan in the cowboy hat smoking his cigarette in the front row who enjoyed the show, had a good time. But if one of the wrestlers came up to him, I guarantee he was going to be the first guy to pull a piece out and just aim it right in their face. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. <laughs> you, know, you know that story about the guy who tried to shoot at Ron Wright or whatever? That, that, that seems like that would be Hank. Yeah. So he's not here. It is a uh, sad way to begin the show, but. There's one way to cheer us up after, of course, missing our friend from ringside, and that is by listening to the calm, soothing tones of Boyd Pierce as he gives us a rundown of what's coming up on this episode. Let's play this. We'll talk about it on the other side because there's a lot going on or about to go on here on this episode. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we thank you so much for listening and viewing with us once again this week. Another outstanding card you'll see by having tuned in. The big 454-pound one-man gang will be in action. Also, Dick Murdoch making his first TV appearance after seven, suffering a rib injury on February the 22nd in against North American champion Bob Roop. It'll be Paul Orndorff against the highly ranked Tully Blanchard. Iron Mike Sharp is here, but listen, tag team action at its wildest because Offen Seeker, the Samoan Warriors, will be in the ring against the big cat Ernie Ladd and his partner, the Masked Assassin. We have a lot of action coming up, and a man to share it with you, one of the outstanding official and referee for amateur football, basketball, 
and wrestling. Also, he's the voice of ESPN Rodeo. Jim Ross is back with us. He was here a month or so ago, back in this area. Jim, as we told you then, you're always welcome. Thank you very much, boys. Of course, a great pleasure to be here. And I thought the last time that I was here that uh, Matchmaker Grizzly Smith had put together just a tremendous card. However, reviewing the card that the people will be able to see today, this is the greatest television wrestling card I've ever been around, and I know I'm excited about the great action coming about. Of course, there's been a lot of action around the country in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it was a, a quite a quite a night when Andy Kaufman, the star of Taxi and Saturday Night Live, challenged Jerry Lawler to a wrestling match, and uh, Andy Kaufman uh, bit off just a little bit more than he could chew. And Cowboy Bill Watts was here with us earlier today, and uh, he made these comments about that match. And we'll play those comments in a second, but first, Boyd Pierce obviously has a real difficult time pitching the Jim Ross. And I started thinking about it. I mean, it doesn't really roll off the tongue like, you know, Cowboy Bill Watts. Like, And here is Jim Ross. Like, it just it, He has difficulty with it. And they're really trying to find a way to build him up. I would drop the whole he's one of the finest amateur referees thing. And I would maybe just focus on he's the host of ESPN Rodeo, apparently. I agree. I would stick to just his commentary role instead of talking about the referee. Yeah, I was thinking about the last was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now where he stumbled through trying to throw it to Jim. He was like, let's throw it to Big Jim. Big Jim. That's the only only time I think I've ever heard Jim Ross called Big Jim. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't doesn't roll off as good. And I noticed something with Boyd too, as you talk about that. He always builds up like whoever the guest commentator is. And I mean, when it comes to Watts, he's just, oh my God, he's drooling over how all the cards and letters ask for Bill Watts every single week on commentary. So that he's, I think he's trying to do the same thing a little bit for JR there. Uh, But I would stick with, you know, he, the commentary that he does on ESPN and just leave it at that. I have no doubt that the cards and letters they receive do request Bill Watts. Cause I find that I want him on the show. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, so I actually believe that's that may be true, that more people write in about the commentating situation requesting Bill Watts than anything else. I mean, it's not like also, it's not like they have a ton of options. I mean, at least since we've started doing this, we've seen Ted DiBiase, we've seen Ernie Ladd, we've seen Bob Roop, Jim Ross, and I think Watts. I think that's the, the ones we've seen. Dust. So it's not like we've seen... Dust, oh God, yeah, and definitely not him. <laughs> bad. Yeah, that was. I mean, I, I love Dusty. Don't get me wrong, but he he was just a runaway train that week. We we heard him, uh, so there's not like a ton of options. So yeah, and then you know we always talk about this every week. Nobody tells a story like Watts, but again, it's his promotion, so he he knows every single detail and thing that he wants said and wants to happen, and he knows how to narrate that because it's his story. Well, one thing we know about Bill Watts: if there's something that he hates more than Russians or socialists, or wimps, it's a sissy. And, uh, of course, Bill Watts, they just pitched to, is going to talk a little bit about Jerry Lawler versus Andy Kaufman. This is fascinating just because Watts really seems fired up. Like, there's little things in the way he's delivering the lines that he seems really, really fired up. So uh, let's go to this audio now, Mike. Here's Bill Watts talking about the recent Andy Kaufman wrestling excursion to Memphis, as well as some ABC News audio of their coverage of it. Athletics is a tough way to make a living. And when you start out as an athlete, an amateur, it's a game. And as you progress through the high school level into the college, it becomes a job, a job your whole future could depend upon. And then when you're a professional, truly your everyday living depends upon your press and your ability in the ring or on the football field or whatever your endeavor. And you've generally put in 
eight to ten years in learning your profession, and you've been tried and tested against the toughest in your field to rise to the top. And I've often said when people ask me about wrestling that there's no magic wand, that when you see one of these guys as a star, that there was a magic wand that picked him out and said, you're going to be a star. He had to earn it, and he earned that right by beating people. Now, can you imagine the audacity of some clown from New York or wherever he's from, star of Taxi and Saturday Night Live, because he has challenged and humiliated a bunch of ladies around the country. Of course, they couldn't have been humiliated if they didn't want to be a part of it and have exposed himself to that humility. But he humiliated 300 ladies around the country, Andy Kaufman's who I'm talking about, by beating them. He must have read his paper clippings so long that he all of a sudden started believing that he was an athlete. And he then committed the supreme sin of ego that he challenged somebody in a field that he didn't belong. And he challenged a professional wrestler thinking that anybody can beat a pro. Well, he got one Jerry Lawler, a 224-pound professional wrestler, one tough hombre in Memphis, Tennessee. And once they got Andy Kaufman away from the ropes and into the ring, the contact actually took something like 10 seconds. Let me let you relive courtesy of ABC Sports. Andy Kaufman finding out just how real it is inside this ring. Comedian Andy Kaufman has spoofed professional wrestling in his act by offering to mud wrestle any woman and give her $1,000 if she can beat him. Monday night in Memphis, he agreed to meet a professional male wrestler, Jerry Lawler, who weighs 234 pounds, and he took Kaufman to the mat. The comedian was obviously out of his league, and when Lawler dumped him on his head, Kaufman did not get up. The crowd thought it was all part of the act. But Kaufman had to be placed in traction, and he was found to have suffered strained neck muscles, cuts on his head, and a compression of the fourth and fifth vertebrae. Earlier in the day, Lawler had said he was going to teach Kaufman a lesson for making fun of wrestling. Late Tuesday, Kaufman's manager said the comedian is giving up wrestling. Bud Fotopoulos, ABC News. I hate to see anyone get hurt, but the good book says pride goeth before a fall. And Andy Kaufman, you just found out what it's like and you learned a lesson that a coach will tell you, don't read your own clippings. He had no business in the field with a bunch of professionals. Even Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest athletes and showmen in the world in the, that the era has ever seen, when he jumped in a professional wrestling ring and challenged Gorilla Monsoon in New York City, Muhammad Ali got spanked thoroughly, and that was when he was in his prime. So Andy Kaufman, this is a lesson for you or anybody else that think that you can do something just by reading your clippings you got to pay the price and learn and earn because when you go challenge one of these men, you're trying to take his job away from him, and I, you'll find out that people will fight awful hard for their job. Now you viewed what happened. You heard the great comments by Cowboy Bill Watts, and that's just what I've been telling you. Professional wrestling, the world's most exciting professional sport. I believe it, and I know that you do too. Okay, there's a lot going on there. First of all, I like Bill Watts' philosophy that I hate to see someone get hurt, but the Bible, <laughs> you know, I love that there. And, uh, you know, the mics are taped together. It's really like an old school look. Watts is very serious. And I'm sure Watts knew what was up here, but I also think he probably realized this is going to get out there. This is going to get news. People in my territory are going to see this. Just like wrestling would come in on cable television. If wrestling is going to be mentioned on the nightly news or on a sports report on the news, I got to say something. And here's Watts defending what happened and saying that, you know, professional wrestling, the greatest sport, don't mess with these guys. This is what could happen. 
Yeah, when you say Watts was in on it, you mean understanding like that they were just working it and whatnot, right? That's yeah. what you mean by that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Understanding that what was done was the right way to handle this kind of thing. He may have, you know, I, I don't know for sure if Watts was someone, because there were promoters that would be upset about the idea of doing anything with him. And then there'd be other promoters who would say, okay, what they did with him was the right way to use him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so too, but watch one thing that is real there whether you want to you know know whether he knew the deal knew all the inner workings of what was going on with Lawler and Kaufman or not one thing that's real right there is Watts is real when it comes to you know not having celebrities because he'll talk about this in years to come not having celebrities and these people who think they can just come into our sport and do you know think they can do this they it's a rude awakening when they and he's pointing to the ring emphatically when they step into this ring you know he was humbled he had some humble pie and I agree when he goes when he starts quoting the Bible I'm just like oh Jesus this is (laughs) you gotta love it when when we start using the Bible to inflict um how can I say it? Uh, to ju- to justify the pain that Kaufman uh, got right there. So I thought that was good. The, the funny, like I said, Watts is always very protective of wrestling. I mean, you're going to see it. Uh, he, you know, he puts together a video package, I think in like 85 and I think it's a Joel Watts who narrates it. And they're talking about, look at that. We're, we're not, yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, gimmicking up the chairs and that's not the words you use. We're, that's a real chair, real man getting hit, you know, none of this cartoon stuff. And I mean, he's directly aiming it at Vince. So, uh, this is a little bit different, but Watts is selling the fact that this stupid comedian, this stupid idiot from Hollywood thinks he can get in there and wrestle and, you know, Lawler gave him some humble pie and piled him on his head, and now his neck's broke. Well, he didn't say his neck is broken, but you know what I mean. Well, from there, let's lighten the mood a little bit. The next match is a handicap match, the one-man gang versus Terry Gibbs and Tony Torres. I want to play Reeser's introduction here because I got a kick out of it, and then we'll talk for a second or two about this match. This event is for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. This event is known as a handicap tag match in which one man will wrestle against two men. But look at what we've got for that one man. 454 pounds, Skandor Akbar proudly presents his one-man gang. One-man gang. I love that. I love that whole thing, just not saying here's a handicap match. He has to explain what's going on, and he does it in such a casual way. There's so many good Reeser moments that I've enjoyed the last several weeks and the next several episodes, I think there will be two where you just sit back and you watch him and he's just, you get a kick out of him, but you could also understand why Bill Watts is going crazy and thinking I need to get someone new in there. I need to get rid of Reeser Bowden. Reeser, it, uh, I, I missed that the first time around, but he did, he goes, you know, we got a handicap tag match here, but against one man, but look at this one man, a one man gang. Yeah. He's, <laughs> It's personality, man. Um, it was a sloppy match, but I guess maybe in some yeah. ways a handicap match should be. You know, I mean, maybe it was a more sloppy than it needed to be. But again, it's the nature of the match. Jack Howe, the referee. You know, one of the things I noticed, this is where I would have talked to you about Hank not being there in the crowd. But I also noticed just how diverse the crowd was this week. At one point, there's a shot in the corner with the one man gang beating up the guys. And you see the crowd and you see African-Americans, you see white people. But then at one point I see a woman, obviously old and young, but I see a woman with a toddler on her lap, or maybe even a little bit older than a toddler. I'm like, oh, look at that little kid. And then behind her, I notice there's a woman with an actual infant she's holding, like a baby, like, like literally within like the first 
eight months in a baby's life at least. And I'm thinking, wow, she had to go to wrestling and she had to take her baby there. And that's the cool thing about Mid-South. I don't think there's a more diverse wrestling crowd you'll see on any wrestling show of that era. And it's, it's kind of cool to see just everyone's there, old and young, different races, and everyone's having a good time. Yeah, and you can't forget, it's 1982 when you talk about that. I mean, we're not um, – I mean, it's a long time ago, but it is a very diverse crowd. I mean, you got people of all walks of life sitting next to each other, mangling, having a good time. You know, it's amazing what happens when people come together for common interests. That's the, that's the way I look at it. I mean, that's basically what you got here. You got everybody who loves wrestling in the 80s, Mid-South wrestling, and they're, they're coming and watching it and having a good time. Well, if you have a good MC. The party could always get jumping. And of course, you have Reese Bowden here. So obviously, it's a great room to be in. Uh, they win the, uh, they win the match. One man gang wins the match after pinning Tony Torres with a splash. Other interesting thing is the fans are chanting USA at the very beginning. I don't know who they're chanting it. I guess they're chanting it at Akbar because the one man gang yeah. is from America. Terry Gibbs is from America. I mean, technically, Akbar's from America too. <laughs> I think Tony Torres may be the only one not from America. I don't know. I think that's 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 definitely directed at Akbar because of all the you got to remember they're they're selling all of uh, Akbar's oil money and whatnot. So obviously, or they yeah they're 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 directing it at Akbar, you know, because he's this chic, I guess is the words I'm looking for, and um they want to make sure that the that they know that you know you're in America, Jack. For the next match, we move on to a non-title match: North American Champion Bob Roop versus the returning Captain Redneck. Dick Murdoch, who uh, at this point is just a complete carbon copy of the version of Carl Cox we saw three weeks ago here on the show. But uh, it's a fun match. Akbar comes out to ringside to interfere. And boy, you know, I say that about Carl Cox. This is the only wrestling promotion where a trenching tool is used by different wrestlers within like a calendar year. And in this case, within a calendar month. Like the trenching tool is used as a weapon and it happens again here. And why don't we listen to some audio? We'll come out of it. Murdoch comes out to the ring, Mike, with a bag, and he has a six-pack of beer. He has just all sorts of stuff in his bag, and it's humorous. It's a humorous way to start, but it actually is a good back-and-forth match. Well, well, hold on. Before you go to the audio, I, we, we, can't, we can't bypass this. Murdoch comes out with his bag, and he's got a six-pack of beer, a canteen. He starts throwing stuff out of it. The, the, the beer is actually falling out. The core is, or the, the, the light beer is, <laughs> middle of the light is actually falling out. And he starts throwing his baton. He's got the canteen. And he whips out his black trunks and puts them on. <laughs> and he's only, so, so again, he came out to the ring in his tidy whiteies. Now you can't see his underwear too well because he's got his, his, uh, Military God, I don't know what the official word of the jacket is. I'm sorry, out there military all military. It's like one of those jackets. Yeah. Sure, I think they call that a bib or something like that. That jacket he wears. Though. So anyway, he's got the jacket on, so it's kind of hanging over where you would see his drawers, <laughs> his underwear, his tidy whities And he puts the damn black trunks on as he's walking to the ring. Then he spits in his hands as he's rolling under the the bottom rope to come in there to battle Bob Roop. And then uh, I just had to mention that before you go to any audio and what else, whatever else we're going to talk about here. It was just so humorous. It was just total Dick Murdoch. And again, almost channeling Carl Cox from a few weeks ago, because we had just seen a very, very, very similar thing just a few weeks ago. But let's go to some audio from this match. You can hear some of the chaos that's happening. Akbar at ringside, Murdoch versus Root. Bob Root come down over those doubled up knees. 
Big Murdoch, six feet, four inches tall, weighs about 285 pounds, and I guarantee you, he's 285 pounds of the toughest dude you've ever seen. He's a Marine. He, he and Killer Carl Cox had some of the most tremendous battles. What a great a mutual respect between two Marines. And Murdoch, you heard Akbar make some comments derogatory about the Marine Corps. Well, Murdoch's got something to say about that. He's a Marine through and through. And Murdoch's over the corner. He cold-cocked Bob Roof, and there he is on the cement floor. Akbar, Akbar. to his assistance. Dick Murdoch with that preaching tool. Murdoch has got Akbar's out cold. Murdoch has knocked Akbar cold. Skandar Akbar is out cold as the waves on the concrete floor, and Root doesn't want to get back in the ring, and who can blame him? Murdoch with his marine helmet and his trenching tool, and there goes Bob Root, leaving the scene in a hurry. Bob Root says, I don't want any part of that trenching tool. And Akbar cannot participate as a scout, participator, Raston, referee, manager, or anything. He's out cold on the cement floor. Akbar, to see the bottom of the screen, is out cold. The referee's calling for the bell. The 10 count. The winner of the match is Dick Murdoch. And Skandar Akbar is still out cold in the light. And we'll be back. Paul Arndorf versus Tully Blanchard after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. So there it is, Mike. A fun match. And, of course, Akbar out for the count. He sells that trenching tool like he was shot, and he does not get up. He just lays on the concrete. The place goes nuts, but a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun little match. I mean, yeah, I I guess we knew that Murdoch wasn't going to win the title there, but he comes in. Him and Rob, Bob Roop are just just putting it to each other, and then and then Murdoch gets on him, and then gets that trenching tool out. I mean, when he, I think I need to re- reiterate the point when he hits Akbar with that tool. Akbar's out. He kind of shakes a little on the ground, but Akbar's out. The the best part about this, or the, one of the funnier parts too, is uh, you know Alfred Neely, Alfred Neely sees Murdoch chasing Roop away with his tool, and Alfred Neely just instead of calling for a DQ because he's about to use a tool, he's just like, "All right, well I'll just start counting out while Murdoch stands in this ring with this tool, <laughs> and Roop just gets the flying you know frick out of there." He just counts him out. So Roop loses. Your North American champion loses by count out. Now, it was non-title uh, to begin with, and he didn't get pinned. But he it, it's just kind of comical to see Roop just – not Roop, but uh, Murdoch is this this character just chase him out. And Alfred Neely's like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to start counting to 10. And Murdoch, you know, wins a match by count out. It was kind of funny, man. It was a fun little quick little segment match. So to, and But it was fun. It was good. There have been some questionable decisions by Alfred Neely in the last several weeks. What he chooses to see, what he chooses to call, what he chooses to ignore. But uh, we'll see what happens more with that in the coming weeks. But the next match on the show, Mike, they talked about it right before they went to the break. Tully Blanchard versus Paul Orndorff. This is really good. This is really intense for, you know, a television match of its time. When you watch these two guys have this match, it shows you just how good Tully was in the ring as a ring general. And Orndorff, too. Really fun match. They're both in the same color trunks. Never a good decision, but a really, really fun match here. Yeah, I, I really thought these guys, they had a really good match between the two of them. Lots of back and forth. I, I mean, I won't go hole for hole through it, you know, what they did, but they, I mean, for a show that, you know, you take out the commercials and and whether the local promos and whatnot on it, uh, I mean, they had a, a nice, it was a pretty long match for, 
you know, for only you only got really 40 minutes of TV time. And they went out there and they kind of ripped it up and tore it up for what it was, you know, a good seven, eight minutes, six, seven minutes of TV time. Uh, I really like this. You know, it showed Orndorf. It just showed how talented he was. You know, Tully, who's uh, how many weeks he's been in here now, Brian? I mean, he's, he's at been least a month, at least two TV tapings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's been in for a while now. And while he's like not really involved in, you know, any kind of title pitch or anything, I mean, here it is, you know, he's battling Orndorff, who is a former champion. And it just was really good. They 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 had a really, really good match. Nice finish to it, too, with the, with some excitement. The fans are really into it. I won't go into the finish. I don't know if you want to you want to go into that now. But uh, I, I thought these two really put on a, a heck of a match for TV back then. Let's play that audio of the finish right now. But one interesting thing to remember, again, a few weeks back, not even a few, when we first started this podcast, the whole thing was Paul Orndorff learning how to reverse the figure four so he had an advantage against Ted DiBiase. Bob Roop taught him the reverse to the figure four. That was months ago at this point. So let's now go to the audio of this match, and we'll see why I just mentioned all that crap. Power knee by Paul Orndorff. Of course, the issue between Bob Root and Paul Orndorff building to a fever pitch. Orndorff wants that title. Bob Root has it. Now Orndorff trying to go for it. And he's going for it. He's going to try to set Blanchard for that Boston Crab. A submission hold. One of the first submission holds ever used in wrestling. The Boston Crab. Orndorff's got it set. And Blanchard powers out. Orndorff's head has hit the mat. Now Blanchard... Now becoming the aggressor once again. Blanchard going for the figure four. Blanchard, it looks like deja vu going for that figure four. now. And Blanchard has really got it locked in. Blanchard has really got that figure four locked in. But remember, Orndorff knows the reversal. Orndorff, along with Bob Root, devised the reversal. And now the hole is reversed. The hole is reversed. And now Orndorff has got the hold on Blanchard. Well, the fans screaming, and that's what it's all about. There you see Bob Root on the top rope coming down. Bob Root coming off that top rope. Jack Bell calls for the bell, Jim. We're going to have a disqualification this match. Root is putting the boots to Paul Orndorff, and out goes Orndorff. And there you see Bob Root coming from nowhere. Paul Orndorff had the figure four reversed. And had the match in hand. There you have it. The disqualification off of the top rope. We'll be back. More action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. And the hand being raised of Paul Orndorff by Jack Howell. So there it is. Paul Orndorff with a disqualification victory over Tully Blanchard after Bob Roop comes in there. And while he has Tully in the reversed figure four, comes off the top rope with a knee to his back. I'm sure Bob Roop was wishing Orndorff was a little closer to the turnbuckle. He decided to jump off before he took uh, flight there. But uh, a good match. It was a little sloppy going into the finish. I don't know if Orndorff meant to go for that Boston Crab, but it was a little awkward and eventually ended up with a Boston Crab and then Tully turned that into the figure four. It, it did look a little weird. It wasn't smooth as, as the way you would look at it. Looked a little weird. Still a good match. A little finish there. Uh, Roop did have to jump. I didn't think about it, though. Roop did have to jump a long way. I mean, Tully was, I mean, Orndorff was pretty much more than halfway across the ring. So I, it was a, it was a, it was a long, I'm sure Roop hadn't taken flight like that many times in his career, in his career. Would you think? 
I'm not going to guess on that because then one of the Florida fans will say, how dare you say that? You didn't see him in 73. Uh, you know, that'll happen. But um, all the time, too. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you, you should have saw him back in 79. Like, uh, sorry, I didn't mean it. Another <laughs> you know? interesting thing, though, is Bob Root runs in there and, of course, jumps in and attacks Orndorff. And again, once again, no one helps out Orndorff. Orndorff's been a heel. He's a baby face now, but no one's there to help him when he needs them which kind of plays into his role later on. It does. Good observation, though, right there. All right. Well, speaking of observations, I can't wait to tell you about my observations of this next match. Iron Mike Sharp versus Mm. Larry Higgins, the future Hacksaw Higgins, who I believe it's his first appearance here on Mid-South. He's a very oddly shaped man. He's gigantic in every way. His, His love handles are gigantic. His height is gigantic. He's a big, oddly shaped man. But obviously a very, very big guy here. Bigger than Mike Sharp. I think he's actually been in before. I think he's been in before. But and he, but this is a problem I run into. I watch too much wrestling, so then I'll, I start thinking I've seen this person before. But I, I could be wrong. But I think he's been in before. But let me go to the point you made. He is weird looking. Uh, he He's not very – the way he moves around the ring, just a weird looking dude. Then he's got his tights pulled up to damn near his breast. Uh, or chest. He just looks strange and he doesn't move well at all. He looks like he's oh. trying too hard. <laughs> well, more. Um, I got uh, We got a lot on that next week, matter of fact. But right now, he just looks really weird. I did like JR in commentary a little bit because he's, you know, JR talks about it's two big super heavyweights and, and whatnot. But Higgins just is a weird looking dude. When he hits the ropes, it looks pathetic. Oh, no, no, uh, well, I, stop. Since you're going to talk about this, we have to talk about it. He doesn't know how to run the ropes because it happens next week. It'll happen in the future, yes. but it happens for the first time this week. Mike Sharp sends him to the ropes. He doesn't know how to run the ropes, but there's a weird moment in this match. And we have audio we're going to play this match. It has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. So we'll just get this out of the way first. Yeah. There's a point where Mike Sharp backs him up into the ropes and mm. the middle rope goes under his ass and the top rope goes above his neck. And he's a gigantic guy, so it looks like he's about to go flying out of the ring. And there's a cut. It's the only time I've ever caught an edit so far on Mid-South Wrestling, all the weeks we've been reviewing it so far. There's a cut. There's a clean, clear edit where, I shouldn't say clean, because it's it's obvious because it sticks out like a sore thumb. It goes from him being on one side of the ring to him being on the other side of the ring. And Mike Sharp's sending him the ropes. He doesn't know how to run the ropes. And then he comes off and it looks really awkward. But something happened in this match where he fucked up even bigger and they edited it off the show. And that's why there's that edit there. I guarantee it because he's so awkward in the ring. He doesn't know how to run the ropes. He definitely pisses off Paul Orndorff next week. We'll talk about that next week. But I don't know if he was trained. I don't know what the deal is, but he's not good in the ring at all. It could have been one of those situations where like, I've heard Cornette talk about it. Uh, there was a there was a match in WCW where there was a guy like he was trained to bump, but not, nothing else. It could have been one of those situations where I was like, all right, they taught this guy how to take bumps. But when it came to runner ropes and anything else, he just was just awkward and didn't know how to sell. That becomes apparent next week. This guy, oh, yeah. oh, oh, Jesus Lord. Uh, but, you know, I, I felt like in, Mike Sharp here tries to to looks like he's trying to be nice to Higgins throughout this match and not really like screw him over or do anything crazy to him. But he, you can tell he just doesn't know what he's doing. 
He just doesn't. He's yeah. lost. He's he's lost in the ring. I encourage everyone to check this out. But let's listen to a little bit of audio, not about this, but about Mike Sharp and being a super heavyweight. And Jim Ross actually says this at the beginning of the match, towards the beginning of the match, before all of the hijinks we're talking about with Larry Higgins. But let's hear this audio now. Of course, boy, this is a match between a classic matchup between two super heavyweights, two heavyweight wrestlers, and uh, two big strong men. It's going to be a very interesting contrast of styles as Mike Sharp has got the more of the amateur background, more scientific maneuvers. Obviously, that's why the people have followed Mike Sharp and his progress throughout his career. You've seen Mike Sharp on national television many, many times, always giving a tremendous account of himself. And I've always paralleled Mike Sharp with a with a with a young uh, an All-American football player going into the National Football League, just needing the experience and about ready to turn the corner to be a, a true superstar in wrestling. And I, I truly feel that this man is a legitimate superstar, a potential superstar in wrestling. But he's got his work cut out for him. Anytime you get in the ring with a 290-pounder, it's got a tough, tough job. Yeah, note to the WWE, if you want to get one of your baby faces over, have the commentator actually put him over. And how good he is and how tough he is and how strong he is and how athletic he is in the commentary there. That's all that was. That was just Jim Ross saying, or Bill Watts telling Jim Ross, get Mike Sharp over. Get the fans to believe in him. And that's all it was. And it seems like a minor thing, like a common detail you would think of. Oh, of course, get him over. But you don't see that that much these days. You just got to get the guy over. And Jim Ross is doing his damnedest to get Mike Sharp over here. Yeah, I I agree. It's, you know, it ain't that hard. Just JR's out there, I guess, pumping him up and making him sound great. And it's not hard. You know, you heard it right there. JR just doing his job of making that guy a stronger person in the ring you, you know it's one thing you know you need your talent to go out there and obviously perform but you also need the commentary team to put it over and to make it look to make to make them sound even better it's a you know it's a dance the two go hand in hand alfred neely was the referee and mike sharp won with a bear hug on the gigantic larry higgins and uh, this was almost like a test of mike sharp <laughs> and I, I think he went back to the locker room and he said give him the orndorff that, that's what it, that's what my guess is before the next week's show. But let's move on. This is a really cool part of the show. We get a recap of everything that happened last week, Mike, with the assassin and Ernie Ladd and Skandar Akbar. Do you want to recap it real quick for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, basically, Ernie Ladd is out there, and he he essentially baits Akbar and the Samoans to come out. Uh, in you know, because Akbar's baited him a bunch of times, Samoans have baited him, so he turns the tables. Um, what Akbar didn't know was that the was that Lad had paid the assassin to come help him out. So as soon as the Samoans and Akbar come out, as Lad is cutting you know his promo, uh, and they start jumping on Lad. Well, actually, Ernie threw the first punch when he told when he he told Akbar, "Wait a minute, you well, I can't even do it. Get, get you. <laughs> Don't you come in here with that?" You know, he's screaming at Akbar, and then Ernie. <laughs> Lad throws the left-handed punches like screw this i'm getting you out of here the samoans hit the ring they're they're jumping on lad lad's fighting them off but out of nowhere the assassin who ernie lad has paid to come help him out in mid-south hits the ring helps him clear the ring and then ernie lad says a few things on the mic the assassin says you know um you want a war you got a war and that's that and then i don't know if we talked about this last week i can't remember research <laughs> Reeser gets on the mic after the assassin gets out, and Reeser's like, well, there you have it, the assassin who's brought war to many places in wrestling, or something to that 
I can't remember his exact words. You know it what I'm talking like about. It was like that, yeah. It was certainly like that. One of those situations where you never see the ring announcer just get on the mic and start doing commentary of what they're seeing. But <laughs> Reeser does it, and I'm glad he does. But I absolutely see why this must have driven everyone, everyone. <laughs> Bill Watts, crazy. When Reeser would just start <laughs> doing this. We need to, we really need to talk to Watts about something like that. Like, did you approve did you like when racer would say things like that i mean he may not remember because it's been so long ago because i know we asked him about katsabulis that time or you did i say we you did um but uh, it's like you know i just wonder like what watts was really thinking when racer would do those things those little things like that after the assassin says uh he's bringing a war and racer's like well there you have it the assassin has brought war to many places in wrestling and then he and then he he transitions to the next match. He goes, and now it's time. You know, he, it's, it's just so nonchalant to the next thing after he's talking about war. Anyway, so that, that's a recap, though, of that segment where the assassin comes out, helps out Ernie Ladd because, again, Ernie Ladd paid him to help him out. That's a big key. Ernie Ladd paid him to help out, to help him out uh, as comparison to what we're about to see in here. And he needed to, similar to Paul Orndorff, maybe even a bigger case of being a heel for a long period of time. None of the babyfaces trusted Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd said he offered the junkyard dog $10,000 and said, come on, brother, let's bury the hatchet. And the junkyard dog hung up on him. (laughs) So, I mean, Ernie Ladd needed a partner. He found a bounty hunter. He found an assassin who he could pay money to and bring in. That's what happened last week. Let's pick up the story this week. That was a tremendous confrontation, but nothing like we should see here in the ring today. It's two on two. It's going to be a great match. Now let's go to the ring announcer, Reeser Bowden. This is a non-title tag team event for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. Reeser, let me take just one moment here to say something that I'm sure is going to be of a great deal of interest, not only to the people, but to Mr. Ernie Ladd. You know, it wasn't too long ago that I decided that I have won all the medals and all the accolades in amateur wrestling that I needed to win. So what I did, I set myself a goal. And that goal was to be the best professional wrestler in the world. And to make as much money as I possibly could in professional wrestling. Now right here last week, Mr. Ernie Ladd paid me because he needed a job done by a professional. The best! So he solicited my services, and he paid me, and he paid me extremely well to come in here and to assist him in a little problem that he was having with these two men here. I received another very, very important phone call this morning. And Mr. Ladd, that phone call was from Skandor Akbar. And yes, you paid me and paid me well to come to your aid and to save your bacon. But Mr. Akbar has paid me a lot more and all I have to do is just walk out of this ring right now and not be your partner here on television today. Wait, what do you mean? Why didn't you tell me this before? Why, hey look, I paid you well. That's right, you paid me well, and money is the name of the game, but Akbar paid me better. Why didn't you tell me this before, not just now? That's a little flair that I like to add to myself, making you look like the big stupid fool that you really are. Have at it by yourself, Mr. Ladd. 
Well, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Richard. Let me get myself a partner. I can get somebody. I can buy somebody else. Richard. Hey, if I have to come back and buy by myself, if I have to come back and buy by myself, let me get me a partner. We don't know what's going to happen now. Well, Jim, That's quite a number for everybody, isn't it? If you could think- <laughs> Okay, I got to stop the tape your mic. Reeser, <laughs> we just talked about this. Reeser is doing it again, and he's starting to do commentary, and you can see Boyd just t- starts talking over him, so we can't actually hear what he's saying after, well, no one knows what's going to happen now. And then he's still talking, but Boyd just jumps in and talks over him. But once again, Reeser Bound just starts doing commentary about what he's observing from the ring. Surely Reeser was smartened up to what was about to happen right there. Wouldn't you agree? No, no. I don't think Reeser knows anything that's going to happen on the show. That's why I think he's so perfect. I think Reeser goes into this with the perfect mindset of, well, I can't wait to see what the wrestlers are going to do this week. And he goes in there. He knows he's safe. He knows no one's going to grab him or yell at him. Watts guaranteed that. And he goes in there. I mean, even Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd's in the middle of this angle. He's not saying, let me go get a partner. Let me go get a partner. He's going... Reeser, I'm going to get a partner. Reeser, he's calling out the Reeser, who's standing there, smiling, holding the microphone completely still, and every now and then a shrug or a smirk, or he'll just turn to the camera, John Landis style, and look at the camera for a second. He is the highlight of the show. I never realized <laughs> it when I was younger, but he is the, my favorite part of the show, I think, by far. Actually, I'm, I'm watching it back as you said it. <laughs> right? He's just doing his own thing. This, when, this, when the assassin yells or not, it says, you find you, you go with someone else, Mr. Lad. And Reeser's like holding the mic and then he pulls it from the assassin. And then Ernie Lad's like, no, give me the mic, Reeser. And Ernie pulls it back and, and Ernie's like, I'm going to go find me a partner, Reeser. I'm going to go find me a partner. I'm going to go find me a partner. And then Reeser's like, well, I guess uh, he's got to go find a partner. He's <laughs> just the way he looks. Well, hold on. Let's hear it again. Let's hear it again from the end of the assassin. I do like that he says, why, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell me? He goes, well, this is just a certain flair I have. <laughs> you know, this is just the way I like to do my <laughs> dastardly things. But let's listen to the end of that and then Reeser. And I'll play it a little bit longer. We're going to play more audio here in a second. But listen to when Boyd starts jumping in. We'll try to make out what Reeser's saying here. Hold on. Fool that you really are. Have at it by yourself, Mr. Lad. Well. Wait a, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Richard. Let me get myself a partner. I can get somebody. I can buy somebody else. Richard. Hey, if I have to come back and wrestle by myself, if I have to come back and wrestle by myself, let me get me a partner. We don't know what's going to happen now. <laughs> well, Jim, if you could pick up what... Okay, he's just doing commentary. He goes, well, this is just quite a number for everybody, isn't it? He just walked out of the ring. <laughs> and Ernie, Ernie Ladd left the ring, and Boyd is trying to cut him off. What the assassin was saying. The assassin. Now he's just standing there smiling in the middle of the ring, holding the microphone. He doesn't know. You're right. Okay, so I, I'll go back to what I said. I don't think he knows. I think I think you're right. He wasn't smart enough to what was about to happen. And you can tell by the 30 seconds after Lad says he's going to go find a partner. Reese's just standing in the ring like, oh, uh, y'all are hanging me out the dry here. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know <laughs> what to do. Hold on one more time. Let's hear Reeser here. Hold on. Why didn't you tell me this before not just now? That's a little flair that I like to add to myself. Making you look like the big stupid fool that you really are. 
Have at it by yourself, Mr. Ladd. Well... Wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get myself a partner. I can get somebody, I can buy somebody else. Hey, if I have to come back and wrestle by myself, if I have to come back and wrestle by myself, let me get me a partner. We don't know what's going to happen now. <laughs> well, That's Jim, quite a number for everybody, isn't it? If you could pick up what, <laughs> what the assassin was saying. All right, we'll continue with the audio now, but all right, we need to start paying more attention to this, Mike, in the weeks ahead. Every little reeserism we need to jump on. This is so funny. But uh, let's hear where this goes from here. The assassin is very simply, boy, what has happened here. The assassin has been paid off by General Skandar Akbar. The assassin is a man, the most famous masked man in all of wrestling. That's a that's something that very few people will argue about. The assassin is the is the is the greatest mass wrestler of all time. He's a bounty hunter. He's in it for one thing, not titles. He's in it for money. And so, very obviously, General Skandar Akbar has has offered him probably the largest sum of money ever given to a if you want to call it a bounty hunter, a mercenary. But the assassin has been bought off. Ernie Ladd left in the ring by himself. Ernie Ladd wants another 30 seconds or a minute or so to get him another partner. I don't think Ernie Ladd cares who his partner is. If his partner is, uh, you know, Terry Gibbs or Tony Torres or anybody on the card, Ernie. Let me stop it right there. I like that. He doesn't care who his partner is. Even the jobbers from the one-man gang sloppy match. But then, yeah. Back to the audio. He has been out. Ernie he has a care. surgery. You explained it when you were here a month ago about the intricate surgery that he had. And so he's ready for me, regardless of who his partner. He doesn't really care. It's going to, we're going to have a match. It's going to be Ernie Ladd and whoever Ernie Ladd's partner is. And i tell you something. While it looks like going to the ring, it's going to be somebody the Samoans aren't going to like. It's Mike Sharp. Iron Mike Sharp and Ernie Ladd. Jack Out calls for the belt. It is Iron Mike Sharp and Ernie Ladd against Afan Sika, the Samoan Warriors. So there we go. Mike Sharp, who was built up during his match, despite the fact that he was wrestling Larry Higgins. Back out there. The fans know he's a babyface. They know that he will be someone that Ernie Ladd probably will not have to worry about turning on him and joining Akbar stable at this time. So now we get the match. The Samoans versus Ernie Ladd and Mike Sharp. Yeah, and another thing about Mike Sharp, too, is remember, he's now been on TV for a good little bit now, and he's won a bunch of matches. So it's not like... You just got some ham and eager out there who, you know, is 50-50 booking, blah, blah, blah. He's out there, and he's he's won a bunch of matches. He's a big guy. He he can hold his own. And um, so it, it makes sense. And like you said, the other part, too, is he's not going to turn on Ladd based on what we know right now. Yeah, I don't know if you could have trusted Tony Torres or Terry Gibbs in this situation as Jim Ross tried to pawn them off on Ernie Ladd. But here we have this going on. Let's listen to a little more of the match. Once again, Mike Sharp and Ernie Ladd versus the Samoans, and uh, some more action will be happening right here. We'll talk about it on the other side. I don't know, as pandemonium has already broken out of the ring, Iron Mike Sharp has paired off with the Samoans. Ernie Ladd's got the other big Samoan down over here. You've got four tremendous, big, strong athletes in here right now. And the assassin, the assassin, the assassin is grabbing Mike Sharp's leg. The assassin is doing his job. The assassin is earning his money. The assassin has loaded up that mask. The assassin has got something in that mask. He loaded it up and down went Iron Mike Sharp. Like I said, the assassin, by his own admittance, is here for the big money of Skandar Akbar. Jack Hal. We got Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff has come to the ring. Paul Orndorff has tattooed the assassin. 
something inside the mask. We'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Ernie Ladd, having a similar problem to Paul Orndorff where none of the babyfaces trust him, finds an ally in this situation in Paul Orndorff. And that is how you get your top heels from a quarter of the year earlier over as complete babyfaces. Yeah, I agree. Because Orndorff comes out and, you know, we've been telling this narrative where both of these guys are heels and all of a sudden... They see how Ernie Ladd gets screwed again because you got that's the other part of it too. Ernie Ladd has now been screwed again. Uh, he he brought in somebody to take down Akbar, but the guy he brought in just screwed him over. So, you know, while people may have been on the fence to whether to say, all right, well, you know, we want to support Ernie Ladd. Look, man, he's trying to do the right thing, but even when he tries to do the right thing, he somebody double crosses him and accepts more money because, as the assassin said, money is the name of the game in his career, and he took more money from Akbar to turn on Ladd. I just thought this was well done. And like you said, Orndorff comes out, who I guess has kind of still been on the fence because of everything he's been through. But remember, he was screwed over by Roop, who messed up his car and took the the wire out to the starter or whatever. Just really good stuff right there as Orndorff comes out to help out Ladd. And, you know, again, we'll go back to Mike Sharp. I I like how Mike Sharp was kind of weaved into that, too, you know, where he's out there. Uh, One thing we didn't talk about here at at that end, I love the loaded mask. That was like a thing that I really, really loved. Uh, The assassin, uh, you heard Jim Ross say it on the commentary. He loaded up that mask. And I think this is a kind of a a preview of things to come from JR later on in the the coming years on commentary. You kind of heard a first from – I don't want to say a first, but you kind of heard from JR right there some of the things that makes him real good. But I do love how assassin loaded up the mask. He hits Iron Mike Sharp on the the outside. Sharp goes down. But it was uh, really, really good. And the loaded mask just back in the day was real fun. Great angle, fun, can't wait to see where they go next with this, but next on the program, uh, interesting that they would do this, it's a match from Florida, although Boyd says it's from Atlanta, but it's from Florida, and I believe it's from Kansas City, actually, it was a Kansas City airing of a Florida match, I believe, and it is Harley Race versus a young, before he was blonde-haired, Terry Taylor. And I don't have really any notes about this, Mike. It was just a Harley race match from 1980 with Gordon Soley on commentary. That's it. Uh, That's all I had, along with Harley race defeats Terry Taylor with a suplex. And, you know, I will say this. One thing that made this cool back then was if you didn't get much wrestling, because all you had was, you know, your, 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 you know, what, six channels maybe at the most on your TV I will say when I saw this back in the day, it was like, holy crap, like there's more out there because the world was much smaller than it is now. Much, much smaller. I mean, smaller than anyone, any kid growing up today could ever imagine. That was the coolness of this. Other than that, yeah, Harley Race defeats Terry Taylor and that was it. I don't know if it was his debut on Mid-South TV. I'm going to guess it was. But two years from now, you'll see Terry Taylor in a freeze frame video by the Jay Giles Band right around this exact time of year uh, in 1984. But we'll get there in a uh, few hundred episodes. But let's now move on here with the show, Mike. 
The next match, the last match on the show, remainder of time match, Buddy Landell versus Jesse Barr, two guys who have teamed up against each, uh, teamed up with each other, excuse me, in previous weeks, and now here they are against each other. I have to say, you know, there's not much to say about this match. We'll play some audio because Akbar has awoken and he comes over to the commentating area, but you can clearly see that the undercard is much improved to what it was in December and January of 82, December 81, January 82, with guys like Jesse Barr and Buddy Landell, even Coco Samoa, guys who can move and have fun matches, look younger than a lot of the guys who were previously there, aren't as lumbering, and the fans really seem into. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, as someone who has, you know, come to uh, really, really, really respect and love Buddy Landell, uh, I always like seeing Budger out there. It's kind of weird, though. You know, Buddy's been in a lot of these enhancement talent matches, and he's always in that far right corner, uh, I guess, because this one, he wasn't really a heel, but they had him in the, the technically the heel corner as this thing kicked off. But this is your normal Mid-South TV match where this is the remaining TV time, which I think by the time they kicked this thing off was probably uh, less than three minutes of TV time remaining. So you weren't going to get much here from these two. But to the point you made, the undercard is uh, looking better than from when we first started months ago well mike i mentioned it before skandar akbar comes to the announce table so let's hear what he had to say i like the comments you said before the match got underway as we were waiting for the contestants but akbar we knew was out because he'd been put out by dick murdoch with that trenching tool was unable to come back and we look forward to two against two for a change in that ring it never materialized ernie ladden assassin against often seeker because here come Paul Arndorf and Mike Sharp was in on it, so we still hadn't had a two-and-two two confrontation. Well, nothing has ever been settled or has been settled thus far. Ernie Ladd, uh, the assassin, you know, I thought it was a great tag team combination, and indeed it was, but General Skandar Akbar and all that money, well, they did uh, General Skandar Akbar and that money. They took care of business, and, of course, Ernie Ladd, there's no way that we have heard the last of this issue between Ernie Ladd and uh, Offensika, the Samoans, General Skandar Akbar, and the whole group. Everybody sees what happened. Everybody saw what happened to the general. Well, fortunately, I had already made connections with the assassin, and I offered him a big, juicy contract. You know, Dick Murdoch, Captain Redneck, you hit me, you hit the general, you dare hit me. Now, Killer Carl Cox struck one of my Samoans, but you struck me, Dick Murdoch. You think what happened to Carl Cox is something. Just wait till I get through with you, Dick Murdoch. And it just goes to show you once again that the general's always got something up his sleeve. I'm always one, I'm always one step ahead of all of my opposition. So beware, Captain Ned Dick. This is war. There you have, Jim. Skandor Akbar came around a table on my blind side and took over the microphone, so... We asked the fan at home, we're sorry for the interruption, but that's the way it is, and he grabbed it. Time is almost gone here in this sensational encounter between Jesse Barr and Buddy Landell. Next week, the popular girl wrestler star will be here in answer to so many, many requests. A big six-man tag team battle will also be on tap for next week. And two weeks, two weeks, Ted DiBiase will return, and Bruiser Bob Sweetan will be back. Hacksaw Dugan will make his debut. So lots of action coming our way, even more than we have now, if that is possible. Boy, I'd like to say that I've, I've been around General Skandar Akbar as a wrestling official and interviewing him on several occasions. I've never heard him with that tone. 
General Skandar Akbar is definitely concerned, and the man is a very devious individual. Akbar's got something Jim, up his sleeve. The fans couldn't see, but Akbar had an ice pack on his head. It was difficult for him to talk, but things are really picking up as our time is just about gone. So we invite you to remember next week the girl wrestlers, a six-man tag team bout. Look forward in two weeks for Ted DiBiase to return. Our time is gone, so for our guest commentator, Jim Ross, who did a tremendous job, I'm Boyd Pierce saying goodbye, everybody, until next week for Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. You know, it's easy to forget that all this is happening and DiBiase hasn't been around. Yeah, he's, he's, God, it's been weeks since we've seen him at this point. And he's going to be back. Obviously, that was the highlight there after the Skandar Akbar interview. And Jim Ross was right. You usually don't hear that kind of emotion from Akbar. That was really good. and. Coming up, DiBiase returns in two weeks. Big six-man match next week. The women's wrestlers and another fine, fine week of Mid-South wrestling in the books. Yeah, and you heard uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's name right there for the first time. That's right, the debut of Hacksaw Duggan. So things are starting to change. We said that once we start getting it going in the 82, things are really going to start picking up and lots of new pieces are going to come in. And this has been an exciting several weeks, just the last few weeks we've been doing the show here. Uh, these have been great episodes, Mike. But as we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. Of course, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605Pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike? How can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Come follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. You can listen to Booking the Territory twice per week. The shows debut on Thursday and Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, you can find the show just by going to tinyurl.com slash bttpod or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. I'm pretty sure at this point we're almost everywhere, whether it's Podcast Addict, Tuned In Radio, Apple Podcasts, uh, everywhere, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, you name it, we're on there. So come check us out. Again, just search Book in the Territory. And you'll get our Saturday night on TBS shows on Thursday. Those dropped. And the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Podcast recaps every single Sunday night. Those shows debut as well. So, yeah, come check us out. Good time. I will give you a warning. It is We are known as the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. So language is strong, but we have a good time. Uh, Doc and Harper and I, and it's a fun time. Brian's been on the show a bunch of times, and uh, it's a good stuff. It's all around good time as we enjoy some classic wrestling from the better days of the sport. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Mm-hmm.